I've got an honest question for you. If Jesus was born in America in the 21st century rather than Judea in the first century, would he vote? If so, how would he vote? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. So what do you think? Do you think Jesus would vote if he was born into America in the 21st century instead of first century Judea? Do you think he'd vote? Would he be registered with a political party? If he voted, would he tell you how he voted? Uh, Would he endorse a candidate? Interesting questions, no? This is Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us today on the line of fire. Here's the number to call. To answer these questions, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to be joined by a guest who's going to weigh in, but the number to call 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. What is your opinion? We're coming up to the midterm elections. Our nation is in massive division over what's coming, divided between liberal and conservative, between Democrat and Republican for Trump, against Trump, etc. If Jesus was alive today, the one who told us, if he's alive, of course, he lives forever. But I'm saying if he was physically in the body here, like he was in first century Judea, would he vote? Would he get involved in the political process at all? Would he vote secretly and not tell anyone? Would he want everyone to know how he was voting? Would he not vote because he's from another kingdom and another realm and his kingdom is not of this world? Or would he simply render to Caesar what belonged to Caesar? You say, well, you're not required to vote. You're required to pay taxes. Yes, but it's a responsibility. It's a stewardship we've been given. We know that if all Christians sat out from all elections, our nation would go in many ways that are wrong and destructive and negative and harmful and contrary to God's best interest for humanity. If we did get involved and vote, understanding that the political process is only part of the process, and if America is to be changed or transformed, it's going to be through the gospel, not through politics. Politics has its place, but politics is not the gospel. But if you don't vote at all, then you're going to have all kinds of consequences you're not happy with, and your kids and grandkids are going to have to deal with. If we do vote, do we make the mistake of putting too much emphasis, hope, In the political process, would Jesus have set an example to follow or would he have been transcendent here, just like the great majority of us are called to marry, but he remained single? Would he be different but say, hey, in this case, don't follow my example. I can't take either side or vote for either party because I know the hearts of men too deeply. However, however, you should vote because it's part of your responsibility. What do you think? What's your take? 866-34-TRUTH. Before we get into this a little more deeply, and before I share some things having to do with Christians and the political world today, a couple of things. I'm getting texts, messages from family members, friends, 
in different parts of America and even different parts of the world saying, hey, we're praying for you. Have you evacuated? Yes, we are currently based in North Carolina, but we are not in the part of North Carolina where there are mandatory evacuations or where people are fleeing for their lives. So, for example, I was scheduled to do an event Monday night at a college campus in Wilmington, North Carolina. I was scheduled to meet with a Christian apologetics group on campus Sunday night and then to do an outreach event Monday night talking about homosexuality and the church, etc. And that had to be canceled. Wilmington is in the direct, at this point, in the direct path of the hurricane and is coastal. So where we are is a good way in from the coast. There's concern about the hurricane slowing down and just staying and dumping a lot of rain and then heavy winds, so potential flooding. But that's the concern where we are. And all I know to do at times like this, you prepare where you can prepare. In fact, I'm scheduled to be out of town, had to redo some flights, at, and but there's nothing that, that I'm needed for at home right now. But uh, at times like this, where you can prepare, you prepare. Uh, where you need to evacuate, you evacuate. But otherwise, just ask, God, have mercy. God, have mercy. You say, do you believe God is sending the hurricane as judgment on America? Or do you believe the hurricane is the work of the devil to destroy? Or do you believe this is just part of a fallen, messed up world? Or is it part of climate change and we brought it on? Or is it just everything that happens has a divine purpose and hurricane is no different than a sunny day? I have nothing definitive to say about that except to recognize it is terribly destructive to recognize how small human beings are at times like this, to recognize that for God, this massive hurricane, which carries more energy in it than what cities use over a period of years, that that this is to God less than just us going, just breathing. So it reminds me always of how frail we are how great God is, and how much we are dependent on his mercy, regardless of the cause of the storm, be it natural, be it supernatural. Now, I do have one interesting question. I may pursue it tomorrow. There are authors and teachers who have pointed out that there's often an amazing parallel between natural disasters in America and America betraying Israel, and that it's a sign from God that he is not pleased when we do that. And then he pointed to America putting pressure on Israel to get out of Gaza, which forced thousands of Jews who had lived there for years to be uprooted, physically uprooted. I mean, the, the soldiers, idea of having to literally drag people away because they did not want to be uprooted. And now they were refugees and, and kind of homeless in Israel in the months that followed. And immediately after that, Katrina hit. You say, well, how can that be? I mean, that's not fair. What did the people in Louisiana and Mississippi have to do with what America did with Israel and so on? But some, before it happened, said, watch, something's going to happen. We really sinned against Israel. And next thing, we had hundreds of thousands of homeless in America. I'm not making a case either way. I'm raising that because no sooner do we say to the PLO, we're going to shut your embassy down because you're not working for peace and, and America standing with Israel in one thing after another in recent months, then why the hurricane? It's just a question. And then someone else said, you know, Guatemala moves its embassy to Jerusalem and then has a major earthquake. So I'm not 
poo-pooing the possibility that natural disasters tie in with spiritual causes in the earth. I'm simply saying if that's the case, what happened here? Because it seems to be the opposite. Then let the hurricane stop in its tracks and turn around and just dissipate its sea and be the end of the story. We could say, oh, there was divine intervention because of our standing with Israel. So I'm not being a skeptic or a mocker, nor am I finding a theology or epistemology where I'm going to line all these things up and say they all work. I'm not going to do either. Just saying I have some questions. I have some questions. By the way, just looking down at my screen and seeing a caller from Jacksonville, Florida, God willing, this Saturday, I'll be in Tennessee with Alex McFarland and I believe Josh McDowell and others at a Truth for a New Generation apologetics conference. So flying out a day early to get there, hopefully before hurricane weather stops flights. Then we had to reroute my flight to get me over to Jacksonville, Florida, where I'm scheduled to speak Sunday morning on the church and key cultural issues at New Life Church in Jacksonville. So if you're anywhere around there and you're free Sunday morning, join me. It's on my itinerary. God willing, I'll be able to get in and out despite the storm. All right, so, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give away a free copy of my new book on President Trump. It's due out October 23rd, and I just started reading it out loud earlier for the audio book, and I'm really enjoying reading it. I've never read an audio book before. I've read parts of my writings, but never actually a book. So just to get the right feel and I was going over it with Nancy earlier and reading some sections. And she said, no, that's not the best way to do it. Try to do it like this. So trying to get it in the way that, yeah, it's my voice, of course, but you get my voice, my heart, that the same way I'm just talking to you now that you'll get it as I'm reading the book to you. Those that like audiobooks. But uh, in a moment, I'm going to give away a free copy of the hardcover edition. Remember, we're printing an exclusive hardcover edition that's going to be numbered, the first 500 copies numbered. And then we're going to sign them. And so whoever you are, I'll sign it to you personally. We'll put a scripture reference in there and sign it, and it'll be numbered. You can only get that through our ministry, the signed, pre-ordered, numbered copy. So that's at our website, askdrbrown.org. But uh, in a moment, uh, we're going to give away a free hardcover copy when it does come out. So I'll tell you what, Howard, if you're ready, Let's do this. Caller number seven. Caller number seven, 866-348-7884. Caller number seven. You will get a free copy of my book, Donald Trump is Not My Savior, an evangelical leader speaks his mind about the man he supports as president. Caller number seven, and we'll get that book out to you when it comes out, which will be somewhere mid-October. All right, let's uh, go to the phones in Jacksonville, Florida. Raymond, thanks for joining us on the line of fire. What's your take on would Jesus vote or should Christians be involved in politics? What's your take? Dr. Brown, thank you for having me on. It's, it's such an honor to be on your show today. I've uh, met you in times past. Uh, I'm with Biblical Concepts Ministries. We teach biblical principles of civil government. So I would say absolutely. Um, it's not so much what would Jesus do because Jesus was God in flesh, 
Uh, it's more of what would he have us do? So mm-hmm. wanted to make sure your listeners understood, and I'm sure they do, but uh, there's three institutions that God created. The family, which is, you know, God created male and female in Genesis uh, chapter 1. The church, which in, in Matthew 16, upon this rock I build my church. But what many Christians don't understand is the third institution of civil government. And, you know, that's clear in the elections process is actually straight, our founding fathers got it straight from uh, the Exodus in 18. And it clearly says, if I've got time to quote uh, Exodus 18. Let me jump in. We'll come back on the other side of the break. I want you to quote this and open this up. And friends, we we have a winner. I appreciate all the calls. Maybe we'll give away another book a little bit later, but we do have a winner. Thank you. We'll be right back and talk more about what would Jesus have us do in terms of voting and political involvement. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us today on the Line of Fire. Yes, a question about evangelical involvement, Christian involvement in the political scene. On the one hand, it's a, it is a swamp. Come on. Just watching the hearings for Justice Kavanaugh. You think of the swamp of D.C. and the political partisanship and the, you know, I'll do you this favor, you do me that favor and all the stuff that exists. And I'm sure there's corruption on different levels, power corrupts, money corrupts. It's a swamp. On the other hand, if we don't get involved at all, there's no question that things will degenerate morally, culturally, that our liberties will be taken away. And we are in a situation where we're not serving a monarch and we, we have no recourse, we have no power, we have great power because we can vote. Do we put too much trust in the political process? How do we work that out? 866-34-TRUTH. So let's go back to Raymond in Jacksonville, Florida. You were about to quote from Exodus 18. This is as Jethro was counseling Moses because Moses is counseling all the people and trying to meet the needs of all the people. And Jethro says, hey, you're going to work yourself to death if you do this. So back mm-hmm. to you, sir. Yes, sir. So my point simply is that many Christians do not realize that civil government is a biblical institution, and our founding fathers set up our constitutional republic uh, according to Scripture. You know, they went to prayer, and they studied the Scriptures, and they found uh, the formula for our government in Exodus uh, 18.21, and I'll quote, says, Moreover, out of the King James, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all of the people, and here here is four um, points uh, to look at at, at a candidate. It says, provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, that hate covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, hundreds, and fifties, and tens. So here you see the election. You see four biblical qualifications for elected leaders and judges. You know, that's very common sense. you got to be an able man. Uh, you can debate what it means to say such as fear God. I believe that that's God-fearing Christian men should be leaders. doesn't mean they will be in a fallen world. But uh, number three, men of truth. When I give this presentation in churches, most people laugh at men of truth. Nobody thinks of their elected official as a truthful person. Uh, 
but the, the founding fathers and the way they set up the government, notice it says place such over them to be rulers of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And, and therefore, that's where we came up with the federal, state, and local governments. Now, Raymond, just to jump in, obviously you've studied this and looked at this. Is this a deduction you've made? Wow. This must come from Exodus 18. This is how they broke it down. Or is there evidence that the founding fathers looked at this verse, or some of them did, and it played into how they then laid things out? I, I believe so. Um, you know, I can't quote everything. Obviously, I'm a, a big fan and student of, of yourself and, and David Barton and other great leaders. Um, so I think that from what I've seen, I mean, can I quote and, and say that it's a fact that they looked at this? Uh, I don't have something to throw out on the spur of the moment, but mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's obvious that this is where it came from. You know, I, I know that they studied, I know that they prayed, and this is the formula that we have. Got it. All right. And and there may be more to it. I, I was asking more out of curiosity because it's I, I've studied a decent amount, but not in massive depth. And in fact, I'm, I'm just thinking over, over to my right, I just got a new book in, real big fat book. Maybe it's written in the 1800s, early 1900s, but it goes back to the civil institutions in America and is claiming biblical origin for one after another after another. So, so the sources may be in there. But Raymond, one last question for you. You read off those qualifications, and now we're voting. It's 2016, and it's Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton. Uh, could we have voted for either of them based on those characteristics and qualities? How, how do you sort that out? Because you're encouraging Christians to be involved in the political process. You're saying these are guidelines that founding fathers may well have gone by, and yet it's pretty difficult to vote for a too many people based on that criteria. Well, this is correct, but, you know, I, again, it goes back to, uh, and, and I get into this in depth, so I, I know I don't have time on your program, but, uh, you know, it goes back to looking at the qualification of the candidate and voting your biblical values. Does this candidate and party represent biblical values? So, you know, looking at the issues, are they pro-life, are they for traditional marriage, religious freedom, and, and, you know, so on and so forth. Got it. Hey, Raymond, I appreciate it. And what was the name of your, your ministry work again? Oh, Biblical Concepts Ministries, bcmaction.org. Right. If I can quote one more scripture in Proverbs, okay. it says, in uh, Proverbs 29 and 2 says that um, uh, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. It's good good scripture to keep in mind for this election yeah. cycle. Yeah. And, and Proverbs is giving us timeless principles. This is not a matter of old Testament law or custom. This is a matter of timeless principles. Thank you, Raymond. All right. Before we go back to the phones, which I'm going to do momentarily, let me give away one more copy of my new book coming out. Donald Trump is not my savior. An evangelical leader speaks his mind about the man he supports as president. And I wrote the book with the hope that evangelicals could stand for what is right, could vote for what is right, could be properly involved politically without kind of selling their soul for the president or losing their reputation for him. So if the elections were today, I'd vote in a heartbeat for Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton. And I would also not be totally associated with Donald Trump. I want to be totally associated with Jesus. And there are differences there. So I think the book is going to be really helpful 
to a lot of people. All right, so uh, let's make this caller number eight. Caller number eight, when the book comes out, you'll get a free copy of the hardcover. Yeah, the hardcover that our ministry will be having specially printed. Caller number eight, 866 348 7884. We go back to the phones in Durham, North Carolina. Sir Robert, how do you come to be Sir? Sir Robert? That's just my given name. My mom thought it was cool. Oh, well, that good for her. You know, she yeah, could have. And my older yeah. brother is Lord Thomas. Are you serious? I I'm am. sure you are. I'm sure you are serious. Okay. Well, yeah. Sir Robert, that's your name. Welcome to the broadcast. Yeah. Thank you. First time I've called in. Well, thanks. Yeah, go ahead. What's your take? Yeah, uh, I don't think Jesus would vote. And uh, I have a specific reason for that, which is he already has a well-established role in the process. He appoints uh, rulers and, uh, you know, sets up all the governance. Um, His is the job of deciding that in a greater scale, in a certain manner speaking, you could say he already votes. And another aspect of that is that he wouldn't have to vote for a candidate based on knowledge of them. He has a much higher... Uh, sort of mantle on his shoulders, which is the mantle of providence. So he's arranging things, not necessarily picking the best for a con- the best ruler for a country as a leader. Um, you know, he said he said Nebuchadnezzar over over Israel when he had to uh, to accomplish purposes, and that's different than for the for the good of the country as we would think of it. So that, anyway, that's what I think. Got it. All right. So so let me pursue this for a second. So obviously. Yeah. As, as divine, as God, he sets up kings, removes kings, Daniel 2, etc. He's looking yeah. with an eternal perspective what we might think is the worst thing he might know in 20 years will end up being the best thing. You know, it's like a, a chess match with billions of, of movable pieces. But what if I just pressed it? Um, oops, looks like, looks like we lost Sir Robert there. Okay, so great, great point. Great call, great point. Let me just pursue it. And, and we do have a winner. Thank you. We do have a winner. Um, So uh, let me just pursue this side. When Jesus was in the flesh in this world, he ate, he drank, he slept. He he did what human beings did because he was fully human and fully God. So the question would be, as for his humanity, would he have participated in the voting process? That's the question that, that I would have asked until we somehow lost our caller. And I'm sure he'd have a response for that as well. But here's, here's the big thing for me, okay? Whatever we do, we must first and foremost be disciples. Whatever we do, we must first and foremost be men and women of faith. Whatever we do, we must first and foremost be identified with Jesus. Now, I understand that the left-wing media, the moment we vote for Donald Trump, will want to make that an issue of salvation. You voted for How could you vote for him? You voted for him. We don't listen to you. Well, you weren't listening to me before. <laughs> Come on, let's, let's be honest. Let's say, and I'm not the, the biggest voice of the nation, you know, but let's just say that, that I got, everybody knew all the big, you know, talk shows, secular, liberal media, they all knew. I said, I would not vote for Donald Trump again. It's not my stance. I, said, I will not vote for Donald Trump again, and I reject, I regret having voted for him. Do you think they'd all be saying, oh, Dr. Brown, 
please tell us more about your book, A Queer Thing Happened to America. We really want to know why you don't recognize gay marriage. Oh, oh please tell us why you believe that, that abortion is, is murdering an unborn baby. Yeah, we really want to hear your views about that. No, they're not, they're not going to suddenly open up to us. Oh, would you tell us why you believe Jesus is the only way to salvation? We're really intrigued by that. No, no. So I understand this is my latest article. You read it on stream.org and other places, Charisma News and other places on our website, S. Dr. Brown, it's out. One News Now, it's out all over. My, my latest article where, where I talk about the, how the, the left's hatred of Mike Pence, Vice President Pence, undermines its, its hatred of Donald Trump. Whereas I don't doubt that Donald Trump has done much to give critics fuel for the fire. I don't doubt that. I don't deny that. Not for a split second. But let's realize that if Vice President Pence was in power, he was the president, and he didn't do any of the things Donald Trump had done, he'd be hated just the same because he's a conservative Christian. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. So I've been polling followers on social media, on Twitter, and on Facebook about Jesus and politics. I asked this question, what do you think? If Jesus was here in the flesh today as an American citizen, just as he was once a citizen of Judea, would he normally vote in the elections? 47% on Twitter said yes. 29% said no. 24% said not sure. Asked the same question on Facebook, but I could only get yes or no options. 55% said yes, Jesus would normally vote. 45% said he wouldn't. This is a few thousand votes total. And then I asked just a little bit before the show today, a little different question. I said on Twitter, my guest today on the line of fire claims that Jesus was politically active and therefore our churches should be as well. Now remember, a small majority said they believe that Jesus would vote if he were a citizen in America today. Now my, now my statement question a little bit different. My guest today on the line of fire claims that Jesus was politically active and therefore our churches should be as well. Do you agree? 11%, only 11% said, I agree. Interesting, isn't it? 72%, I disagree. 3%, things are different now. 14%, their choice was other out of the four choices I gave. And this is only the first few scores of votes coming in. But with that, this is Michael Brown, and I want to introduce my guest, Neil Mammon. By day, an engineer. By night, an apologist. His website, noblindfaith.com. He has quite an interesting history. Born in Ghana, grew up in Jamaica, Sudan, Ethiopia, India, and Yemen. His ancestry is from the Martoma Christian Church in India, and his family dates their Christian heritage to 51 AD when the Apostle St. Thomas preached the gospel in India. He wrote a book a few years back, actually eight years back. Dr. Frank Turek recommended the book to me and recommended Neil as a guest, oh, quite a few months back, and somehow, probably over a year ago, never got Neil scheduled. 
And then when I was in California speaking recently, we ran into each other. And absolutely, I said, man, we got to have you on the air, especially, especially now. So Neil Mammon's book, Jesus is Involved in Politics. Why aren't you? Why isn't your church? Neil, welcome to the Line of Fire. That's quite the provocative title, sir. <laughs> well, yes, and it's meant to be, right? And if you look at your survey, only it turns out it's very necessary because 11% of your um, a survey said he was, or we should be, and the rest said something to the effect of no, right? And this shows the brainwashing that we American Christians have experienced over the last uh, 50-some years, ever since the Johnson Amendment. All right, so so let me play somebody's advocate, the devil's advocate, somebody's advocate, other than holding to your position, all right? So uh, I'll throw out some of the standard thinking. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, my servants would fight for it. Paul wrote that we are citizens of heaven. We understand we're in this world, not of this world, that the whole world is under the power of the evil one, that just like slaves are to submit to masters, we're to submit to the ruling authorities and leave our cases in God's hands. When we get political, we get dirty, we get messy. We end up leaning on the arm of the flesh. It's best just to leave politics to the politicians and let us preach the gospel. I'm sure you've heard that more than once. Oh, How do you respond? So many times. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing I say is we need to realize that we should be happy that Christians got involved in politics. In fact, even atheists should be happy that Christians got involved in politics, because it's only because of Christians who got in politics that slavery was banned, that the selling of children was banned, that the labor of children was banned, that the killing of twins was banned. You know, in Africa, they used to have uh, believed that if you had twins, it was bad luck, and they would kill both the twins. Well, the only reason that was banned is because the Christian got involved in politics. In fact, in Scandinavia, it was legal to kidnap your wife and or bride and force her to marry you. That was banned because the Christian got involved in politics. In fact, you can go through thousands of laws over the years, and you'll see every case, it was almost, almost every case, it was because the Christian got involved in politics and said, this is not a good idea. This is not a godly moral. We've got to change the laws. In fact, we have, uh, we are surrounded by those thousands of laws, you know, elder abandonment, forced prostitution, temple prostitution, child prostitution. <laughs> we can go to gladiatorial combat, right? We can go down the line. If I mean, if we say Christians should not be involved in politics, we're saying all those laws should not be on the books, and it should be legal to have child prostitution. It should be legal to abandon your elders in the wild. It should be illegal. It should be legal to kidnap someone and force them to marry you, right? Uh, just look at that, and, and immediately you realize, well, okay, that's kind of stupid. Mm. Uh, what, what about in your native country or country of origins, India, the influence of William Carey and the laws there? I mean, isn't that another example? Right. That's a huge one. Sati was was uh, a law that said that the Hindus could uh, sacrifice, or not sacrifice, could throw the widows on their husband's funeral pyre. And a lot of times, this was this you know sixteen year old girl who has been forced to marry to this eight year old man. He dies, and they throw her on the fire, on the the cremation fire. And God, thank goodness that William Carey showed up and said, hey, we got to stop this. This is not a good idea. This is not a godly thing. And he imposed his morals upon the Hindus, right? And even today, the, the uh, Hindus and the Christians hold that up as a, as a good value to have. In fact, I say that, you know, we've, we have um, 
so um, imper- uh, permeated society that, as I said, even atheists don't want child prostitution. They've adopted our morals. They have taken Christian capital. And they, I was in an argument one day with a guy, and he said, "Are you telling me that if it wasn't for Christians, uh, I would, I would, I would um, have slaves, and I would, <laughs> I would discriminate against people, and I would murder people?" I just said, "I don't need your stupid Bible to tell me to do that." I said, "Well, maybe not the murder part, but..." You tell me which atheist went and fought against slavery. You tell me which atheist went and fought against electoral combat. Which, you tell me which atheist went and fought against discrimination and uh, um, things like that. I said, the primary fighters, the people who changed the laws, were Christians. And so you've, you've adopted our moral capital. You, in fact, you've adopted it so much, you think it's yours. So, yes, mm. you did need the Bible to tell you that. Mm. All right, friends, I'm speaking with Neil Mammon, his book, Jesus is involved in politics. Why aren't you? Why isn't your church? Okay, so so let's first break this down and and start with Scripture. You've given to me right. what are very compelling examples. You're giving to me examples of why I do some of what I do in terms of speaking out right. and addressing moral and cultural issues. To me, it's just what disciples do. You know, I say the Great Commission is to go and make disciples. The question is, how do disciples live? I mean, it's, it's a pretty simple answer for me. But God's people, believers, we're, we're Scripture people, we're, we're biblically-based people, and as much as you're giving to me scriptural reasoning, can, can you give me a verse or two that support your viewpoint? Sure. Well, actually, before I do that, let's see what Jesus did, right? Yeah. Um, you know, because a lot of people say, well, Jesus didn't get involved in politics. He never did anything with the Roman laws. You know, uh, he never got involved in the laws of Rome. But, but if, you, if you think about this, the reason Jesus get, didn't get involved in the laws of Rome is because he wasn't a Roman citizen. He was a citizen of Judea, right? So imagine when we were governing Iraq. Remember, the Romans were governing Judea. When we were governing Iraq, could an Iraqi citizen have come here and voted or run for office or gotten involved in our politics? Well, Legally, no. In fact, um, you know, and he, unless uh, he was giving uh, Hillary Clinton $300,000 for a speech, he wouldn't be, you know, legally he would not be allowed to do that. In the mm-hmm. same way, Jesus was not allowed to get involved in Roman politics, and he didn't. But did he have his own politics? Well, who ran Judea? Did the Romans run Judea? No. When we were governing Iraq, we didn't run Iraq. We governed it at the top level, and we let the local politicians do that. Why? Because it's too hard to do everything, Right. So the Jews had their own government. They had lawmakers. They had, um, they had a police force. They even had someone who was the equivalent of our president. He was the, the commander of the armed forces, and that would be Herod, right? So they had an entire structure there. I go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why would they need to make laws? They already had the Torah. Well, no, that's their constitution. That was their constitution. But just like in our laws, we have a constitution, and we have lesser laws. And so we, and the real problem is, how do you interpret the constitution, and how do you come up with these level, lesser laws? Like, you know, when is chicken fresh, or when is it frozen, kind of things like that, right? Um, oh, it, and so did Jesus have those kind of people? And did he have senators and representatives, right? So we have to ask that question. Well, who were making his laws? Well, he did. He had a body that made his laws. And it was called the Sanhedrin, and everybody knows this. And Sanhedrin means assembly, which is the name given to this council of 71 Jewish sages who constituted the Supreme Court and legislative body of ancient Israel. So this is both their Supreme Court and the legislative body. These are the lawmakers. These are the representatives. These are the senators. These are the people who make God, uh, uh, Jesus' Judean laws. Okay, well, okay, so that's the Sanhedrin. Well, who were the members of the Sanhedrin? 
who were these people, and did Jesus ever talk to these people? Well, hopefully, you guys are all about 30 seconds, and I know you are, Dr. Brown, uh, 30 seconds ahead of me. Uh, what were the names? Well, they were called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And now we see that Jesus is not only involved with politicians all the time, but he's yelling at them. He's telling them things. He's condemning them. He's calling them names, right? I had a friend who said, you know, that's nice, Neil, but you should not call our politicians names. I said, I'm just calling what Jesus did. You know, what do you call them? Call them filthy vipers, you know, uh, uh, rotting graves. Who will save you from hell? You're the son of the devil himself, right? You know, I'm not saying that I should go around calling my senators and politicians that, but Jesus had no problem doing that. And we see further that he's not talking about the spiritual laws. He's talking about their political laws. Remember, he says, you have forgotten the most important things of the law, mercy, judgment, and faithfulness. Well, what mercy? Not God's mercy. They would not adjudicate that. He was talking about the mercy under the law. What about judgment? He was again, he was not talking about God's judgment. That would come at the end of time. He was talking about the judgment under the law that they were passing on the people. And then what about faithfulness? Faithfulness to God? No. He was talking about faithfulness to the law. He said, you've forgotten the original intent of the law. The Sabbath was made for man, not man made for the Sabbath. You've taken the original intent of the law and you've twisted it. This is what we call an originalist. All right, friends, you're listening to Neil Mammon, M-A-M-M-E-N, the book, Jesus is Involved in Politics, Why Aren't You, Why Isn't Your Church, website noblindfaith.com. Neil covers a wide range of apologetic issues, but we've asked him to focus in on this. Hey, I, I've got a few more questions from my guest here, who, as you see, is not intimidated in the least by being asked this because he's got some deep conviction. But, okay, is, isn't it different today, though? Come on, America is not ancient Judea. And we know the same kind of covenant with God. They did. So Jesus was involved there because this was interpreting God's laws for Israel, the Jewish people. That's why he got involved with that. That's religious involvement, not political involvement. You're confusing things, Neil. So we'll get Neil to respond to that when we come back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, I'm back with Neil Mammon, author of the book, Jesus is Involved in Politics. Why aren't you? Why isn't your church? So Neil, obviously uh, an objection that many would raise is, is, look, Jesus lived in first century Judea. And the Pharisees and Sadducees were ultimately seeking to work out and interpret God's law for the people, which is different than America and every other nation. We don't have the same covenant with God that Israel did. We don't have the same divinely given constitution of the Torah that Israel did. So you're comparing apples with oranges. How do you respond to that? Right. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things here. First of all, let me give you a verse, by the way, you know, because you asked for a verse. The yeah. Romans 13.1, let's let every person be subjective to, subject to the governing authorities. But uh, because there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, here's where the play is in right here. The further down that you look at it, it says, for he is their authority, to, to for he is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, we are afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath and the wrongdoer. So it shows there very clearly that governments are there to protect the rights of the people, their citizenship, right? It says mm-hmm. very clearly there. And then it says that whoever resists the authority is resists what God has appointed, right? Now, here, 
here we see right away that in the American system, this applies so much more than in the Jewish system. If Jesus was getting involved in the Jewish system, which was a theocracy, and they didn't, you know, they had to go through this whole system, and there's actually a lot of similarities between their system and ours, which I won't don't have time to to cover. But but what we see here is that here it says that the authorities are those that came from God. Now the question is, in America, we have the opportunity to be the authority. It's not like coming down from fiat, right? In other words, we don't have a Caesar in America. We don't have our—you know who our Caesar is in America? It's the Constitution, right? Who do we pledge allegiance to? We pledge—I mean, I don't say pledge allegiance, but, you know, who do we commit to honor and bestow when you become a lawmaker, right? It's the Constitution that you're saying you're honoring. Our Caesar is the Constitution. So if we are going to be subservient to anything besides God, it's going to be our Constitution. That means we should be there to protect and uphold it. And therefore, in our case as Americans, we can run for office, we can become the governing authorities, and so there's nothing that violates Scripture in any of this. Now here's the question. Why did God give us the law? He gave us the laws to protect us. I mean, there's not a single law. I mean, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are love God, and the last six are love your neighbor, right? So two major laws, right? Love God, love your neighbor. Well, how do we love our neighbor? God gave us those laws to protect us. He didn't give, you know, when we violate those laws, God doesn't go, oh, no, you're violating my laws. And he says, why are you doing such a stupid thing? Every law, when we go out here and we see a traffic stop sign, we don't think that stop sign is there because they didn't want us to have fun. We think that sign was there because they wanted to protect us from killing somebody, to protect somebody from killing us, or worse, from paralyzing somebody, right? So those laws are there to protect us, and if we violate those laws, people get hurt. Not every time, but people get hurt. In the same way, God gave us his laws to protect us. So if a nation legislates moral laws that line up with God's laws, will they be happier? Yes. Will they be healthier? Yes. And guess what? When a nation doesn't, who suffers first? Not the rich. Not the wealthy, not the influential, but the poor, the orphans, the widow, and the children. That is why we, we love our neighbors, the second greatest commandment. We have to make sure that our laws align with God's moral laws, because otherwise we're going to go through the school of hard knocks. And we've seen that, right? We have bad laws. It destroys families. It destroys people. It increases all the problems in our society. In fact, I would, in my book, I show not only the hundreds of laws that we've changed, but I also show how that most of our economic problems are caused by moral problems. And if we change the moral laws, then we will actually save millions, if not billions, actually billions, uh, if not tens of billions over the, over the years, of uh, tax money and income and all that stuff, and, and we'll also save a lot of pain. What about the simple slogan, refrain, that you've heard endlessly, but you can't legislate morality— so when we put all of our emphasis there, you know, we stop preaching the gospel, we start stop praying, and we think that if we can just get the right Supreme Court justice in or, or get this political leader elected or get this law changed, we can bring about morality. But you can't, you can't legislate morality, right? Well, so I had a friend who uh, goes to sound. I'm here in Silicon Valley. I'm an engineer during the day, as you mentioned. Uh, and I have a friend, who, and we, we had like three patents together, and he, he graduated from Stanford. And we're out to lunch one day, and I'm talking about abortion, how abortion is wrong, and he finally convinces them that, yeah, you're killing a human being, and he says, okay, okay, that's fine. I agree with all this, but you can't let immorality. And I, you know, I'm like almost choking my rice. I said, hey, you got PhD, you got a PhD from Stanford. You're a very smart person. Can you give me one example of a law that's not based on a moral value? 
I mean, it may not be your moral value. It might be somebody else's, but it's based on a moral value. And he starts thinking, thinking and thinking. And I, so I decide to help him. I say, well, how about murder? He goes, no, that's based on a moral value. Okay, okay, fine. So he's thinking, thinking. I said, well, how about stealing? He goes, no, that's based on a moral. And then he goes, you're not helping, right? <laughs> and finally, he comes up with one. He says, Mother's Day. I'm like, what? Because Mother's Day, that's not based on a moral value. I'm like, yes, it is. The Fourth Commandment, right there is a moral value. He said, no, no, but the day. It could be any day. I'm like, that's not the point, is it? <laughs> Everything is based on a moral value. It might not be yours. It might be Mother Teresa's. It might be Hitler's. But whose law should we be legislating? Yours, mine, Mother Teresa's, Hitler's. And the answer, the Constitution, I mean, the Declaration of Independence of 30 says, is none of those. We should be legislating the laws of nature and of nature's God. All right, so... so every law is based on a moral value. Again, friends, if, if you're considering things you haven't considered because you just thought politics are dirty, Christians don't get involved in politics, we... We muddy our witness when we get involved in politics. And now, now you're suddenly seeing everything completely differently because politics is just another sphere of life in which we get involved. My, my last question, because we just got a few minutes and obviously you could go on for hours with each question. <laughs> but, but Neil, if, if you could answer this in, in three minutes or less, what mistakes have we made? Have we at times hitched our hopes to one party or have we put too much trust in the political system or or traded our witness for a seat at the table? I mean, have we made any mistakes along the way, or have we just withdrawn oh. too much, and that's the consequence? Well, we've, we've made hundreds of mistakes, obviously, thousands of mistakes, and we will continue to make them. But the worst mistake we could make is to withdraw, right? Because then you're just abdicating all those moral laws to people. I mean, and I ask this question. I ask pastors, I say, look, we know that God's laws are here for our benefit, not only of yours, mine, but also the the uh, the the uh, criminals and the bad people and the immoral people, all God's laws apply to everyone, not just to Christians. Um, but if you are not in Congress, if you're not lacing the laws, then the laws will be made by people who hate God's moral laws. How can you be so unloving to allow that to happen? How can you be un- so unloving to let people who actually hate God's moral laws, who already come to the table with an idea that I'm not going to legislate that way, and you end up, it's like you're purposely letting somebody destroy your nation. And here's what I tell pastors and Christians. I said, look, I mean, I'm an immigrant to this country, right? I, I came here um, from Yemen. We were kicked out of Yemen. It's a long story. It's in the book. Um, but because uh, my dad gave a Bible to someone, uh, non to a Muslim, right? So, uh, which penalty, by the way, is death. But we got out because my dad had political context. But mm. so so we came here, right? Uh, in the, I came here in the 80s, and then my parents came later. Here we are in a country, and you come face-to-face with God. Let's say you die, you come face-to-face with God. And God looks at you, pastors, and says, look, I gave you a nation. It was the greatest sending nation in the world. It was the greatest evangelical nation in the world. It was the great. I mean, nobody has ever funded missions like America. Nobody has sent um, money as much as America. America has done everything, exceeded everything. I gave you this great nation. It, it had everything in it. And what did you do with that? You let it become a nation. Instead of sending out evangelists, needed evangelists. Instead of sending out money, needed money. Instead of being the source for freedom and uh, telling people uh, about God's gospel, it became a place that was oppressing people. Instead of a place of freedom and and justice, it was a place where uh, you can't even bake a cake uh, with a good conscience. Uh, What did you do with what I gave you? 
cast away, take away even what I've given you and send you into outer darkness. I mean, do we really want to stand in front of God that day? And so I say, look, Christians, this is your responsibility in America. God gave you this amazing country. I came here. I escaped to come here. Uh, you need to, we need, and so one way, and obviously the show that you do and all that, is you've got to start like a book club. You've got to start like teaching people. You've got, this is your job. You need to pass on freedom to the next generation. You need to be involved in this. You need to be involved in politics. And, and yeah, politics is dirty, but you know, cops, they're dirty cops out there. They're bad policemen. Do we say, oh, well, policing is bad. No Christians should be policemen. They're bad soldiers. We say, oh, no Christians should be in the army. Yeah, there's lots of bad people out there. And a lot of times, we do bad things. We see bad people, they claim to be a Christian, they turn out to be a, you know, a philanderer and, and, a, and, and a corrupt, right? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that we abandon it. We just say, look, we better be careful, more careful about the person that we uh, hitch our wagon to. And I always say, uh, individuals should connect and help with people, but churches should never do you. Church should never endorse a person. The church should uh, endorse a principle, a moral value, and work with that, but not a person. But at the end of the day, God is going to hold us accountable for what we did with this amazing nation that he gave us. All right, friends, I've got to jump in. We are out of time. My guest, whom I'm sure you want to hear from again, Neil Mammon, his website, No Blind Faith. It's all one word, noblindfaith.com, covering a wide range of other issues. He has another book, Who is Agent X? Proving Science and Logic Show It's More Rational to Think God Exists. The book we're discussing, Jesus, is involved in politics. Hey, Neil, I've got a dear friend who has a very different take on the issues we discussed today. I got to get the two of you on the air to have a debate together one day. That, oh, trust me, it would be awesome. God bless you, Neil. God bless you, friends.